This is an RNZ podcast. Photo opportunities have their uses for politicians who want to get the media's attention and then exposure. And the media can also make use of the images and content these contrived events create. So, for example, you can expect to see recent images of Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern in Antarctica in the upcoming TV news reports of the next political opinion poll if results look like freezing out her party. Likewise, images of National Party leader Christopher Luxon squirting out a soft-serve ice cream during his stint on the tools at McDonald's last week, with a voiceover about party support going soft or serving up a result that could see him drive through to be the Beehive's Big Mac, or whatever you get the picture. But there are questions also for the media and how they handle these events created for their benefit, or even solicit them if you take this at face value. We are encouraging him to try and um, do some more photo opportunities. We had that um, boxing um, scenario a few weeks ago, and people need to get to know him. That was TVNZ's political editor Jessica Much Mackay on Morning Report's political panel on RNZ National on Friday last week. Now, people who thought that amounted to TVNZ advising the National Party leader on his media strategy reacted pretty strongly, complaining to TVNZ, to RNZ, and even to us here at MediaWatch. But TVNZ told complainants this week, and MediaWatch, Jessica Much Mackay had been misinterpreted. TVNZ said that Jessica Much Mackay was speaking to RNZ's Corin Dan and Jane Patterson, a former and current political reporter, and she said that when Jessica Much Mackay told them we had encouraged the National Party leader to do more photo opportunities, she meant all media, not TVNZ specifically, because TVNZ says all media encourage persons of interest to undertake media engagements. And TVNZ spokesperson also told us TVNZ receives complaints of this nature from both sides of the political spectrum, which they say suggests balance in TVNZ's reporting. Though a good way to suggest balance to the audience is not to suggest PR strategies of any kind to any political leaders. On this week's Midweek Media Watch, Hayden Donnell took a look at that and the case of another political leader who seemingly determined not to engage with the media as much as possible, as RNZ's podcast The Detail discovered this week. So we thought we'd have a go ourselves at getting that elusive interview and, surprise, surprise... Hello. Hi, is this Wayne? Who's that? Hi, Wayne, this is Bonnie calling from RNZ's The Detail Podcast. How are you? Can't talk to you. Hello? That was on Midweek Media Watch, which was on nights last Wednesday. It's also on our webpage, our section of the RNZ app, or you'll find it in our podcast feed if you missed it. Now, public figures and organisations stonewalling the media like that is a major frustration for journalists these days, as are claims of bias like the ones directed at TVNZ and Jessica Much Mackay recently. But not long ago, remember, some people were claiming that the parliamentary press gallery was biased the other way because all of the major network's political editors these days are women of around about the same age as Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. And, as we've heard many times here on MediaWatch, there are also growing and persistent claims of pro-government media bias because of increased public funding of the media and journalism under this government. Now, that's partly triggered by, and fuelled by, declining trust in the media and in journalists, as reported in opinion polls and surveys, and amplified by commentators with an axe to grind. But apart from the fact that their numbers have been shrinking year on year for years, what do we really know about New Zealand's professional journalists these days? Well, this week, the most comprehensive survey of them reported back some preliminary findings, five years after the last such effort. 
Conducted by Massey University, the Worlds of Journalism 2.0 Journalists in Aotearoa New Zealand survey harvested data from almost a quarter of the estimated 1,600 journalists working full-time here. As the name suggests, it's part of a global effort that was kicked off 10 years ago and is now extended to 120 countries. The respondents answered questions about who they are, where they work, and also about their professional practices and their political and social attitudes, as well as their sense of security and satisfaction. Massey University's Associate Professor James Hollings crunched the data and he spoke to me about what it revealed about our journalists and the media they work in these days. Starting in about 2012, a group of um, essentially German researchers uh, got together and who have been studying journalists and there's been lots of studies done of journalists in various countries, but no one had sort of, and there's what they call cross-cultural studies, thinking well, how did European journalists compare to US journalists. A lot of the original work was sort of tended to be very US dominated. So the, the, the view of what journalism is and should be tended to be very Anglo-US dominated. These German researchers said, well, actually, journalism is much more diverse than that. Why don't we study the whole world and see how it maps? And so they organised researchers around the world from 66-odd countries in 2015 to do the same survey of journalists in all these different countries. And then they could compare, for the first time ever, journalists with from, say, the US, who tend to dominate sort of narrative about what media and journalism should be, to journalists in Brazil, for example, or Mexico. And it turned out that there's amazingly diverse, rich sort of variation in what journalism is and how journalism is practiced around the world. Do you get any sense in which New Zealand is an, you know, an outlier or does it actually fit very much into kind of global mega trends about, you know, pressures on journalism, declining numbers in newsrooms and so on, the things we often hear about operating in the New Zealand journalism scene? We're sort of very similar to UK in journalism and the way we work. Uh, certainly Australia tends to be a bit more like the US style of journalism and we're sort of somewhere slightly off to the side, side of that. One thing that's interesting is, mm. uh, for a kickoff, is journalists who respond to the survey are asked, you know, where do you work? And from that, I think we can see from the previous survey, uh, I, I would guess, uh, you know, new, people working for newspapers and magazines, that's on the decline, online outlets going up. So are we seeing that in the preliminary results of this latest one? Yeah, what we're seeing is um, all the trends that people have talked about over the last few years. Um, huge growth in online journalism, new sorts of startups. We're seeing that in New Zealand with Newsroom, Spinoff, all the, the others, something like Crux in, in, in Queenstown, you know, really interesting new things starting up. Um, plus the traditional strong um, organisations still there, Stuff, NZME, RNZ, TVNZ, um, uh, Alliance Press, Otago Daily Times. Those are all still there, but there's increasing diversity in, in, in the journalism market as well. One of the big issues we've heard about, we've heard journalists talk about the bleeding of experienced journalists out of the business. I mean, for a couple of reasons, I guess, one, just the general shrinkage of newsrooms, fewer journalists employed because of pressure on the business, but also those experienced journalists being targeted, kind of picked off uh, to work in communications or public relations or government comms in particular. Uh, Is that trend still continuing? That trend's been there for a long time. So what you see is a lot of young journalists coming through which has always been the case. There's been a lot of youthful recruitment into journalism mm-hmm. for the last 50 years or so. 
um, are dropping off in the mid-years, possibly because they're going out to have babies and have careers and they need more money and they have to go into comms or PR or whatever. Yeah, that's fascinating. But, you can see that in, there's a chart in, yeah. in the document that you've done, and there is a real dip when, when you hit the age of, mm. say, 40 to 50, uh, a, a kind of slump, really, and then goes back again. Yes, um, when, when we get to the to – the, that is in the proportion of journalism employed by age group. Yeah, a big dip in the 40s. And then this rise again through the 50s and 60s. So they've got a, quite a strong cohort of sort of 50s and 60s and people in their 60s doing journalism in New Zealand. And I think that's that's the sort of trend you see in other countries as well where journalists have maybe gone out, out of the industry for a while then they've come back to realise what their real true passion is and they're finding a way back into the industry to do their thing. So – so there's this real phenomenon, I guess, in places like the UK, what they call hyperlocal, of older journalists often coming back in and wanting to set up small community newspapers or find some way back in the industry where they can practice their craft. The length of service is another thing. People mm. are asking, how long have you been in this business? And I guess you'd see if it was an industry under pressure, that would come down if people are you know, having to leave a lot, younger ones coming in, as you mentioned. Is, is that overall average out, that length of service dropping? So people have been in it. No, that's stayed about the same, I think, overall. But if there's still a real core of people who are in it for a good dozen or more years on average, uh, and some a lot longer than that, that's a good thing. Yeah, I think one thing that comes through strongly is just the sense of strong professional identity within New Zealand journalists, that there are as a real core there that have stuck it out and staying true to what journalism is and what it's what it's there for. Well, one finding you've headlined uh, in your uh, press release is uh, described as a shattering of the glass ceiling by uh, women in journalism. I mean, historically, uh, media was a, a man's world in a way, overwhelmingly. Um, the last survey uh, of Worlds of Journalism showed a significant rise. Uh, this time, are, are we at parity? And, and is it across all levels, senior levels as well as junior? Yeah, well, according to the to the results, yes. Um, I'm sure there'd be some people who say that it's not like that or not like that within my organisation, but overall, statistically, um, it's undoubtedly true that females certainly are in the majority of the numbers of, of people in journalism in New Zealand, um, and they have attained equity in terms of the rank that they're getting to, the levels of organisation, and in terms of pay. Effectively, that glass ceiling has been has been broken. Mm. And now mm. for ethnicity, the other thing that's been identified here, the most noticeable change uh, you've said is uh, increase in Maori. So now one in ten journalists in the industry identify as, as Maori, uh, and that's you say is a twenty percent in- increase on the survey five years ago. That's that's a huge um, huge win. I think it's obviously still not enough. Um, Fifteen at least would be would be reasonable. I think people are working pretty hard to do that. Um, well, in fact, years. in the next survey. Five years from now, that might show up because we have things like the Tirito program, which is you know media companies together uh, training uh, cadetships right. and so on to employ Maori journalists, some uh, with Te Reo skills and and others without. Yeah, and I think it shows the work that organisations like Stuff and Radio New Zealand and TV New Zealand and others have been doing. That that's starting to show through too. Um, there's a lot more to be done, I think, there as, as well. Though, so let's not get carried away. Yeah. Uh, Pacifica is still very low. That's a real problem. You know, less, around less than two percent of journalists are Pacifica journalists. Um, Asian journalists are still quite low. Um, around four point five percent if you if you if you include Asian Indian with with Asian. But you know, there's a strong uh, New Zealand Indian press and New Zealand Asian press here. So um, we need to try and build those numbers. Um, the other interesting thing I thought was quite interesting was that um, there's a quite a 
large number of Europeans working mm. in the New Zealand media industry, you know, around 7%. So that's, that's quite a few. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm. So, I mean, because your document here says uh, the most noticeable change is the increase in Māori journalists. But the thing that leapt out at me on that table was those declaring themselves as New Zealand European background, uh, down from 87% in 2015 to, in this survey, uh, about two-thirds identifying as New Zealand European. So, yeah, the Europeans you mentioned, that's another option you can select, isn't it? I guess, you know, mm. you, that is, to me, the, the most uh, eye-catching finding there. 87%, I mean, overwhelmingly in 2015, down to just two-thirds. What, what does that tell us? That's an interesting point, Colin. You're absolutely right to pick that out. That is, I think it tells us that, well, certainly that the workforce has got a lot smaller. Those, it might not be that so much that we're recruiting less New Zealand Europeans. It might just mean that they've left more quickly than mm-hmm. the others. Certainly or might even be identifying their ethnicity differently. That's even a possibility, isn't it? Yeah, I wouldn't say that a large portion of what have done that. But I think what it really tells you is that, well, certainly the workforce has become a lot more diverse. That's partly because I think recruitment's become more diverse, but it's possibly also because a lot of those people have left the industry. One thing that'll be of specific interest to you as an educator, Mm -hmm. uh, when asked about the highest level of education in the background of these journalists, I find this quite remarkable. Uh, I mean, what was once, I guess, a kind of uh, occupational uh, enterprise, you know, has become uh, degree-based more and more, but 24% of journalists responding to the survey say their highest qualification is a master's degree. Uh, that is remarkable. I mean, a lot of those will be master's degrees in journalism, I'm guessing, the sort of thing that you teach, uh, that just didn't used to be an option if you go back a, a generation. That's quite a remarkable level of education, isn't it, for uh, any workforce? Yeah, it is. It's huge, really, isn't it? And journalists are, I think, becoming hopefully better educated. Um, Do we overall. know if the better educated ones are better paid? Haven't done that analysis. We could actually have a look at that. We haven't actually gone down that route so far. But that is a good thing to look at. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? How they are becoming more, more and more collecting degrees. I think. I guess partly that's the fact that more and more are going through journalism programs, and that there are actually postgraduate options available now, which weren't available sort of ten years ago. So that's probably that where that's partly driven by. Now, a big mm-hmm. issue in journalism, say this past couple of years, has been the hostility. And, you know, at times abuse, some of it just online, but also physical, particularly in things like that occupation of parliament. You know, there's reference in the document here to people saying they've had specific threats, death threats, rape threats. What has the survey told you about the level of harassment and hostility that journalists in New Zealand uh, are finding themselves facing at this point in time? Um, Well, this is the first time we've asked these questions and they're being asked of journalists worldwide. So we haven't actually been able to compare it to what it was like previously. And I'm sure there was stuff previously, but it does really jump out at you that it's it's pretty bad. I mean, just looking at the the mean scores, if you like, which gives you a sense of how how strong it is. um, High, high scores for things like demeaning and hateful speech. Questioning a personal morality, particularly for women. Questioning a personal morality. That's right. That sounds slightly <laughs> euphemistic, um, but I think I know what you're getting that's at. That's right, yeah. yeah. And anecdotally, I think I'm sure you're hearing this as well, but journalists are really getting it from certain sections of the public. You know, let's kill the messenger type thing. So, And this is coming through strongly, that journalists are, are getting a lot of this. And not just from, unfortunately, not just from the public, but sometimes from each other as well. There's been instances I've heard about of journalists critiquing or attacking other journalists and I think that's a real problem is that if, if organisations aren't standing up for those journalists and Is this coming from sort of outlets that advocate you know free speech and uh, you know fewer constraints and things like that that's a- a- adding to a bit of within media 
uh, criticism. Yeah, fringe and fringe media outlets who are, you know, trying to get a platform and having a go at other journalists. I mean, of course, journalists are just should be critiqued just as much as anyone else, but there's a way to do it, isn't there? Some of the news organisations need to think a little bit harder about how they can support and protect their journalists from these kinds of abuse and online attack, because this sort of stuff has a cumulative effect on journalists, and I've seen this and I've heard stories about this, that journalists are feeling, yeah, you can tolerate a few of these threats or attacks, but if it's going on month after month after month, it really wears you down, and there's a sort of a PTSD PTSD effect going on, I think, there with some of them. Um, And we really need to think hard about this, how we deal with this. Yeah, that'll be fascinating to see if this is a moment in time and in history and in five years' time, whenever the next worlds of journalism uh, happens, whether that's uh, increased or become embedded or uh, drifted away. You know, let's hope for the latter. Uh, The other thing the survey takes into account is aspects of journalistic practice and takes the temperature of journalists about how they, they feel about some of those things. I mean, in terms of, you know, this ongoing debate about, you know, true impartiality and neutrality uh, is often hard to achieve. You know, it's an ideal rather than um, a possibility. Um, But, you know, certainly a principle that I think most journalists would say, you know, it's important to, at the very least, try uh, to be objective uh, and and subdue any biases um, you might have. Um, Are you finding any uh, big changes in, in people's responses on those questions? This is a really interesting area, particularly for me, I think, because this is somewhere where we can actually compare what it was like five years ago to what it is now. And because we've asked exactly the same questions five years, six years ago, as we've just asked now, about what the role of a journalist should be. There's been studies done of journalists for the last 70-odd years which show that they generally fall into one of three three roles. One is what they call the watchdog role. Mm -hmm. One is what they call the mobiliser role, people who think that journalists should mobilise society for one cause or another. Advocacy. Advocacy, yeah. yeah. A third role is what they call the, sometimes called the accommodator role. In other words, that journalists are basically just there to provide entertainment and information for people. The fourth role I was going to get to is what they call, sometimes called the neutral observer role, which is simply just reflect society as it is and don't try and adjust things or change things. And what we've seen now, I think, is a bit of a shift according to these, the survey, is that journalists have shifted. They used to be, five years ago, quite strongly about sort of more the neutral observer role and with quite a strong emphasis on the accommodator role. In other words, we're here to sort of provide entertainment, information, you know, meet, meet the client's needs, if you like, that mm-hmm. sort of approach. They're increasingly sort of seeing their role as being the more watchdog role. And that's interesting. We've seen an uptick in criticism of the media from outside groups, you know, this uh, suspicion or accusation that journalists are not just there to uh, reflect society and and to, you know, help people tell their stories and so on, but that they are actively trying to change society or support or back certain things. I mean, often it's described as, you know, journalists being lefties, you know, in, in crude terms. But there is a remarkable finding in here, it was remarkable to me. When asked about whether part of the role is supporting government policy, 10% of the respondents said that it was. Doesn't that play into the hands of critics who feel the media isn't neutral and journalists aren't always uh, going to this without bias or even trying to, and that because of their own personal aspects? Yeah, it's an interesting point. But I think there's always going to be journalists that think their role is to change society, advocate for one thing or another. And it may be that sometimes aligns with government policy. There will always be journalists that think that it's important to support government policy. In some countries in the world, that's a hugely important part of journalists' role 
particularly in parts of Asia and parts of Africa sometimes. But they... isn't it alarming to you that as many as one in ten journalists have answered that question, that the part of their role actually is supporting government policy? I w- I'd be surprised if any, particularly news-based journalist, uh, was, was prepared to say that's part of the role. Uh, well, probably partly the way the question's phrased. I mean, these are questions which are given to us from from the World of Journalism Centre. So, but that question can be interpreted slightly different ways, can't it? You could say, you know, if it's a government policy that I think is important, like um, stopping more terrorist shootings, then of course I'd support that government policy. And so a lot of journalists would say the same thing. So maybe they don't mean support. In the mind of the person answering this survey, they might have thought a particular policy or all policies. Yes, yeah, so we'll take an example, yeah. say the gun buyback yeah. uh, thing, which had required a bit of explanation, was criticised mm. by groups that felt it was impinging upon the freedom of gun owners, unnecessarily restrictive or not very effective. So a lot to explain there. So perhaps in reporting mm. on that, they might have interpreted their role in doing that as, you know, that that would have the effect of supporting government policy, but not necessarily that they had taken a position to you know, create journalism being determined to support mm. policy. There's a difference between journalists that are actively propagandising for a particular point of view and journalists which are doing the watchdog role of asking difficult questions about something that's going on. And they can often be mistaken for having an agenda. Yes, of course they've got an agenda. Their agenda is to find out what's going on and analyse it and critique it. Mm. Their agenda is not necessarily to push for um, the Green Party or the National Party. So there's a difference, and I think one is sometimes mistaken for the other, and it's easier to target a journalist or label a journalist as being an activist, or in fact they're just asking difficult questions which you don't like. And what about mm. other concerns that we know journalists have found uh, going back many years, things like difficulties with the OIA, obstruction or non-compliance with the OIA, um, and having to go to the ombudsman a lot, and also just in more general terms, organisations, private, public, whatever, just not engaging, refusing to answer questions, stonewalling them. Are, are we seeing journalists uh, still expressing concern about those things in numbers? Oh, yes, definitely. That's It's a huge issue, I think, for journalism in New Zealand is the blanket of silence in public organisations, the way that information is controlled, particularly in government organisations, but all through what corporate organisations as well, and the way that personally I find it astonishing the way that we've allowed our essential rights of freedom of speech under the Bill of Rights to be abrogated by organisational comms managers who <laughs> uh, who say you cannot speak about something. Well, why not? I mean, it's well, but also and, in more general <laughs> terms, I mean, now that in the past organisations that want to get something out to the public, you know, would have to engage the media to do it. These days, they put as much effort into engaging with news media as they do creating their own media via social channels directly to members of the public. Maybe some organisations just don't see it as as much of a priority as they used to to engage with news media because they can do without them and still get information out to the public. I think there's a, <clears throat> a lot of, I guess, naivety, I would call it, or misconception about how media works. And I would say this within the communications industry as much as organisations themselves. And I'll give you an example. I was talking recently to a senior member of the justice community who was wanted to meet, talk to a journalist about an issue that was going on and was rung up and told by the comms manager, no, you can't talk to the journalist. Uh, and then he thought about it for a while and said, that was ridiculous. Why did I agree to that? That was absurd. I, I knew what I'm doing. I knew the subject better than anyone else. But he had instinctively gone along with what this comms manager had told him and, and infuriated him in the end because he realised he'd missed a really good opportunity to get this message out about what they're doing in this very important area of justice to the public. That so to a comms is, manager, I guess mm, they just see that as a risk or a kind of exactly, red flag. Something, yeah. something difficult might come out of this. And um, if that comms manager had thought about it, they realised that they've missed a really good opportunity 
So that sort of thing I think happens a lot. But I mean, more importantly is that journalists are constantly coming up against this, what's called the communications industrial complex, um, the great phrase of Anna Firefields, that they are finding it hard to get information where so 10 or 15 years ago it would be much easier. So in spite of the communications industrial complex, the commercial headwinds facing the media, uh, the increase in hostility and the decline in trust, all of these problems, are journalists happy by and large, or at the very least uh, prepared to say they're satisfied with their choice of career and, and how they're tracking in their job? Well, one thing we have tracked in this survey, the last survey and the survey before that, is job satisfaction. It's remained pretty high, around about 80%. One thing that really does come through strongly for me out of these surveys is the core of professionalism in New Zealand journalism, how dedicated they are to good, strong, democratic values, how determined they are to keep doing their jobs and doing it well. They're a stoic lot, I think. So one one finding was a quarter, when asked, almost a quarter, said, yeah, I would be worried about losing my job in the foreseeable future. So in spite of that, if you're still prepared to say you're satisfied, we'll get job satisfaction in it, and as the long length of service indicates, people are sticking with it even through periods where it has been difficult and in some instances not all that highly paid, uh, that's a good thing. Yeah, it is, and I think pretty dystopian like I think four or five years ago but I think with the stuff buyouts and some of the new organisations coming through some of the changes happening in journalism there's some positive signs coming through it's I think I'm hugely admiring really of New Zealand journalists and how they've stuck to their job and stuck at it in the face of a lot of fairly difficult circumstances over the last four or five six seven years. That was Massey University Associate Professor James Hollings talking to me there about the results of the most comprehensive survey yet of New Zealand's journalists, the Worlds of Journalism Study 2.0, Journalists in Aotearoa New Zealand survey. You'll find a link to the results of that and more of what James had to say about the findings in the online version of the story that's on our page of the RNZ website, our section of the RNZ app, or you'll find it in our podcast feed.